Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 55 for Tuesday, February 15th, 2011. It's just before the last day of the Chinese New Year. And coming back from a long but well-needed vacation is my friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Ni hao, everybody. So, Kevin, you were uh, out and about in the bigger mainland, is that correct? Yeah, I was out in uh, Urumush, the uh, western western Chinese city, uh, out in Xinjiang. So were you out there trying to cause unrest, or? or? <laughs> uh, I, I I think I caused my bit of my share of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They kicked you out finally, and so you're. Back. Yeah, they they kicked me out. They they couldn't stand me anymore. Sent me on a plane and made me come back here. I'm surprised they let me back in. Actually. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're back safe, and we are glad to be podcasting once again. Uh, we've got uh, some of the ho- holiday New Year films to talk about today, yep. as well as some news. But before we get to that, we've got a special guest joining us today, uh, Rufus Duram. Am I saying that correctly? Duram. Duram, okay. Yeah. Uh, joining us, uh, Rufus works on the sinawesome.com website, and he's also a fellow podcaster working on the V Cinema podcast. Um, how long have you been doing, you know, how long have you had this interest in, uh, film and in cinema and what would you say you're, do you have, a, do you have like a special interest area or are you just interested in all kinds of film? Uh, well, I've pretty much been interested in film for my entire life. I mean, my parents tell me stories of me arguing with the, uh, the video store clerk before I could even see over the counter. So um, I always knew I wanted to go to film school, and I guess my special area of interest is Korean cinema, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I studied as an undergrad, uh, but I would say I'm also interested in all cinema, um, and that has a lot to do with you know just watching a ton of movies, because I grew up in a really small town. Mm. So, so there wasn't anything else to do. <laughs> you're, um, you're a student now. You're in film school now. Yeah, I'm, on, I'm a grad student at NYU, uh, and I'm actually doing film archiving and preservation. Um, so basically making sure people 100 years from now can see the movies that are being made. Mm. So are you, are you interested in getting into production, or do you think you're going to go into... Uh, working in like collections or doing festivals or you know sort of uh, um, arch- archival work as you're studying now. I don't really know because honestly, I enjoy doing all. Like, I enjoy doing production. I've you know we do short. I do short films on the side with some friends, um, and I also really love teaching like one of my favorite parts about doing podcasts is you know teaching about korean film or 
you know, film theory or whatever. And I also really love archiving. <laughs> so if, if there was a, a made up job that could do all three, I, I suppose that would be what I want to do. Oh, but right know. now I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you're a man we'll after see. my own heart, sir. <laughs> um, and so you're, you're studying now. When do you expect to graduate? Uh, next year. Next so year. it's a two year program. Yeah. Now you mentioned that your sort of your strong area of interest is, uh, leans towards Korean cinema. Uh, have you learned Korean at all? Do you plan to go to maybe work in Korea later, or is that simply just a sort of a hobbyist interest for now? Um, I've I've been to Korea several times. Okay. Um, and I actually studied there my senior year under uh, undergrad um, at Yonsei University, which is one of the big universities there. And I have studied Korean. I'm not fluent by any means, but I can get around. Mm. Um, I would say I'm at a very basic speaking level. Um, but yeah, I guess that, I mean, it's been sort of my area of interest since high school. I was always interested in Asian film, uh, starting with Japanese, like Studio Toho monster movies, mm. mm -hmm. moving into like Chinese fifth generation. Then I discovered Hong Kong. And then in high school, I discovered Korean cinema, and I was like, "Holy crap! No one's no one's talking about this," mm. <laughs> you know. So, so do you think you'll end up going back to Korea, though? Uh, probably. I don't know if I'll go back to work for any extended period of time. Um, but I guess you never know. Mm. So you I don't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like the uh, film preservation in Korea is starting to pick up. Out of the Korean Film Institute, you know, remastering all these uh, older films. Do you think there's a opportunity for you there in that in that area? There might be. Um, I would say that it would probably be more. Uh, it'd probably be easier for me to work at, say, the Hong Kong Film Archive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than the Korean Film Archive because. You know, the Korean Film Archive is sort of connected to the government. And there's really political, and so it's hard to get in, really. So I, I don't know if me coming in as a foreigner would 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 be in my advantage at all. <laughs> it would be pretty much an uphill battle on ice skates, you know. Yeah, it's understandable. Do you um, so do you see yourself, you know, possibly? Do you think you you'll at least end up in Asia looking for work, or do you plan to try and uh, find work in the U.S. when you graduate? Uh, I mean, I guess my plan is probably to stay around the the New York area, um, at least for now. Um, and like I said, I have I really have no idea what's going to happen um, when I graduate. I mean, I know that my department is trying to open up a um, a, a branch in Singapore and so there may be like teaching opportunities there for a year or two mm. um, I mean Singapore is not as much fun as Hong Kong or Seoul but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, have, I totally feel that the, the film school the post film school syndrome right <laughs> yeah I'm just like uh, you know but I mean I don't know like the more I'm also, alongside my archiving classes, I am taking a lot of cinema studies classes. 
and the more I take at a graduate level, the more I'm like, I really miss sort of the rigor of academic study. Mm. And the more I feel like, oh, well, maybe I should be a a professor, (laughs) you know. (laughs) At this point, who knows? Um, I mean, it really depends, like, on what, you know, what what my girlfriend and I decide Mm. post-graduation. And, I mean, she works in magazines, and it's going to be, you know, finding work in Korea for her would be impossible, Mm. pretty much. So... That would be another factor in my decision-making process. <laughs> well, of course, you know, there's always you can always fall back on podcasting because we make so much money doing that, right? Yeah, you know, if you cinema, we're just rolling in the dough. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess why uh, we're we're talking on these advanced equipment called called Skype. Yes, you know, that yes, costs yes. us so much money. Well, speaking of uh, newer media, um, so you run the the site sinawesome.com. Uh, can yep. you tell us a little bit about that? You know, some of your your thoughts on uh, you know that you've put into the site and uh, any any good experiences you've had with it. Sure, I mean, Cine Awesome is sort of a branch from another site. A bunch of us had started this site called Paper Spaceships, and it had originally started just for uh, genre books, so sci-fi, fantasy, kind of young adult books. And we're just going to review it. We had a lot of friends in the publishing industry in New York. Uh, so we're just going to review books and try to do interviews. And then we started adding writers. And as we added writers, we started, or at least I started and a couple of the other guys started writing more about film than books. So I just kind of made this executive decision of like, okay, we're splitting the site. We're going to have, you know, Cine Awesome on one side. I'm going to have Paper Spaceships on the other. So uh, James McCormick, who's also part of the Criterion cast, mm-hmm. uh, he, he and I co-founded Cine Awesome um, with sort of the intention of doing a site about films that we love, that we feel like don't, that don't get enough attention. Um, so classic film, genre film, indie film, um, for me, Korean film. And uh, through that, we started, I started, we started covering, we launched the site covering this year's New York Asian Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, through covering that, I met the guys over at V Cinema uh, show. And originally, I was only supposed to go on for one episode, like, or two episodes as sort of like, you know, a Korean guest spot. But we got along so well that... I ended up sticking around, <laughs> so here we are. I think you, you jumped on like on the eleventh episode, I think. Yeah, and, and something they're, like that. They're up to like twenty-two. I think they just had you guys just had your one-year anniversary. Is that correct for the? Yeah, podcast? We, we just did our one-year anniversary. Um, we covered the Kyoshi Kurosawa's um, uh, Apocalypse trilogy, so Cure, Charisma, and Cairo. Mm. Um. And basically, uh, yeah, so I, I basically stuck around, you know, I was originally supposed to go on episode 10 or something, whatever the, uh, Oasis episode was, I was originally, that was my original, uh, sort of 
you know, co-host experiment episode, but I ended up having surgery, like <laughs> emergency surgery a week before the episode was supposed to air. So that didn't quite work out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we just launched uh, episode 23 yesterday. Um, and that was our, our part two of our, our the uh, Apocalypse trilogy. And that was for char- uh, Charisma. So awesome because I'm in grad school. Uh, sort of kind of went dormant there for the end of the semester. So there's a little lull, but we're coming back. And we have, you know, the Korean Film Blogathon. And we're going to be covering the New York Kore- uh, New York Korean American Film Festival. So, yeah, you know, we're getting more, more writers. So, you know, trying hard. <laughs> about, let's talk about the Korean Cinema Blogathon. Uh, so, well, back in December, where uh, the Wild Grounds did the uh, Japanese blogathon, right? And I was like, "Oh, this is really fun," you know. Or it was back in November. Uh, this is really fun. There was people from all over the internet writing in German, French, Spanish, all about Japanese film, uh, and it got you know every everybody shared all their links on one site and it was just you know it was a really cool way to discover new sites and talk about japanese film and i was like well i wonder if we should do a uh a korean blogathon so i i emailed martin who uh martin cleary who runs new korean cinema uh and i was like hey martin here's this crazy idea you want to, you know, co-host it, you know, between Cine Awesome and New Korean Cinema. And he was like, sure. And so that was, that was the origins of the Korean Blogathon. Um, so basically what it is is this March 7th to 13th, anywhere on the internet, anybody can do anything remotely related to Korean film. Uh, and then email us or post a link. Uh, Korean uh, New Korean Cinema is going to host the uh, the main the main link page. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're just going to post all the links up on one page. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. And then yeah, so hope, um, we just hope that people will get talking about Korean film, and it could be anything from Korean film industry to I really like this movie to you know my top 10 favorite films or top 10 worst korean films or whatever um, now, now but, will you be uh participating with your own entry rufus yeah well it's, it, we're definitely going to be participating uh we're also going to be reviewing movies that are going to be premiering the new york or the korean american new york asian or korean American Film Festival New York. Mm-hmm. That's a long acronym. K A F F N Y. Uh, we'll be starting the week after. Mm-hmm. So during that week, we'll be launching our uh, screener reviews for the films that are showing at the, the film festival. Um, I'm working on something. That should be pretty cool, but I'm not going to announce it because if it doesn't work out, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Um, 
but you know we're, we're definitely working on stuff uh we have a lot of interest so far uh you know a lot of people have been really positive feedback um i was actually part of a korean cinema conference at nyu where a lot of like basically the big korean film scholars from around the world were part of this four-day you know cinema studies conference uh and some of them may may post some stuff which is kind of cool so we'll get more like scholarly things and i'm asking some people i know and in, in the uh film festival business and you know maybe they will be able to write a little bit about like the politics or the business side of you know getting korean film to screen in new york or things like that mm. so yeah. it should be pretty cool yeah, it sounds. Or it could really be a total failure. Who knows? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't know until you try, right? Um, yep, but it sounds exactly. like the timing is is working out really well with uh, the festival that you mentioned. Have you gotten any interest interest from people or bloggers or um, you know film fans who might be stationed in Korea who have maybe would be able to do interviews or have contact with some of the people in the industry at all? Not yet. Um, but we don't really know, and you know, until later. Um, we, I do, or we will have at least one on Cine Awesome. We'll have at least one uh, interview um, with uh, director. Um, shoot, hold on. Sorry. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry. Okay, so we will have uh, an interview with director Yoon Sung Ho, uh, which one of my, I have a couple Korean writers, and she interviewed him in Korean, and then we sort of translated slash I made it make sense in English. Um, sort of his, I, from what I can tell, his first English language interview. Uh, and we had announced this a while ago on V Cinema, but uh, I was still waiting for some things. And then my computer died. So I I lost some things. And then, so it took oh. a while because we had to retranslate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that will officially launch. Uh, and he was a director. Uh, he's an indie director. He did Milky Way Liberation Front. Uh, was his major film. That oh, I love released. that movie. Yeah, released in 2007. Uh, he ended up being a really kind of funny guy. And he also, so the interview is basically about um, a web series that he produced and put up on Vimeo with, with English language subtitles. Um, but it should be pretty interesting. Uh, and as far as I know, like I said, that may be the only English language interview with him mm. um, so far. So at least one interview from us. Uh, I'm hoping that, at, you know, I, I put some word out to some of my, like, the Korean um, critics that I know in Korea, but I haven't heard back from them. So. I, I've got a suggestion. Um, you've got to interview one of those pop stars, you know, someone from, like, a Big Bang or someone from a Super Junior. And I tell you, yeah. it'll go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Girls' Generation. Yeah, yeah, it's all from Girls' Generation. Or the my, I think my kids. site would like crash. Yeah, their the servers server would be deep. burned out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if that would. I, I also don't know if I could hold my uh, contempt for 
Korean pop music <laughs> out of my interview. <laughs> you know, I really like Korean music, but I, I'm not a fan of you know the kind of manufactured pop oh, yeah. groups. I hear you. Um, what would you be your advice to uh, somebody who's doesn't have much experience with Korean cinema if they wanted a a good starting point to get started what would you recommend as maybe a couple starting films that would be you know readily readily available um you know that they could maybe get through um some easier channels uh, online or in in stores um to you know somebody somebody who just was is looking they 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 have a little bit of interest but they just don't know where to start right well i guess like the the go to korean film that i found everybody has seen even or most people have seen even if they don't realize it's korean is old boy mm. um although that's a very kind of hardcore genre film so you know, that might, if if you don't like violence and people getting, you know, hit in the head with hammers and whatnot, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't watch that. Uh, the other one that Americans seem to really like uh, is Kim Ki-duk's uh, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, which is pretty easily available. Uh, and Kim Ki-duk is sort of known for his extreme art films. Mm. Uh, but this one is sort of a fake Buddhist tale, and I say it's fake Buddhism because he he made up all the, you know, just keep in mind, if you're going to watch this movie and you know nothing about Buddhism, that what's going on in the film is not Buddhist. Mm. <laughs> it's just Kim ki being like, this looks cool, so we're going to have them do it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, uh, The Housemaid, the original, if you're in America, you can watch it on Mubi.com, the M-U-B-I.com. Um, it's my favorite Korean film of all time. Uh, it's made in the 60s. Um, so, like, things like that. Also, if you, if you wanted to ch- check out and can find this movie, Castaway on the Moon. Mm. is my one of my favorite recent films um, and it's a really good introduction to sort of Korean comedy which involves a lot of melodrama at the same time mm-hmm. and also I would say The Chaser if you wanted like a really good crime thriller and that's also in America at least available on Netflix Watch. Yeah, I can agree. Those are all really. That's a pretty wide selection of different yeah. stuff that Korea has to offer. Those are really all, all pretty good films. I would say. Yeah, you could all you could also listen to uh, V Cinema, um, and we do do Korean films every once in a while. So, if you want to hear some guys talk nerdy about it, you can check it out. I think <laughs> next after we do um, the Pulse episode, which is two weeks from now. Because uh, we're on a every other week schedule, just because our time is we can't do a weekly like you guys. Um, we're doing the housemaid uh, with Adam. Um, shoot, forgot his last name. Hold on one second. Sorry, I don't want to. Right. Fuck up this guy's day. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, and it's all just Adam. 
Uh, anyway, so this, uh, so we're doing The Housemaid, the original film, with uh, this guy Adam from uh, KoreanFilm.org, which was sort of the original Korean film site mm-hmm. uh, on the the uh, the internet. And so we're going to talk about the original, and then I sort of made everybody watch the remake as well, so we could compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, V Cinema only does one one film, mm. um, but you know, in this case, I thought it was important to, you know, be like, okay, well, everyone's talking about the remake right now, and it just came out in America, so we should at least touch on it. Mm. You know? Okay. Well, quick question: What what did you think about the two versions of the house made? I, I've seen both as well, so I'm interested to. Your quickly, quick, quick, quick thoughts. All right, so quick is the original is probably one of my favorite films of all time. Period. Just not even just Korean films, but regular films as well. Uh, and I also really liked the remake, but not as a remake of the first film. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think it's a horrible remake if you just take it on face value as a remake. But I do think it's one of the and this is opinion that is very minority. I think it's one of the best and angriest Korean films to come out in a while. And it's mm. really just comes out of the labor movement, I feel, and just this angry sort of big screw you to the upper sort of nouveau riche class of, Amer- uh, of Korean society you know, who are just consumeristic and walk on the backs of the, you know, the underclass, the invisible people and in, in, uh, domestic help and whatnot. So in that sense, I thought it was an amazing film because I really like Im Sang-soo. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, 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 just really quickly, what are your thoughts on the, the, the it's not a, a real trend, I guess, but um, the sort of semi-trend of Hollywood doing um, r- complete rewipes of, you know, a- a- it's been other Asian films as well, but in recent, uh, not I guess a couple years ago, it was uh, they were pulling Korean titles like My Sassy Girl and uh, Ilmar and yeah. doing uh, doing remakes of these. And they've done it with, you know, they've done, it with, done several Japanese films, a couple Hong Kong films as well. But what were your thoughts? Did you get a chance to see the... Um, the Hollywood remakes of those Korean titles, and you have any I thoughts didn't, on those? I didn't. I've seen Lake House, which is the the remake of Ilmar, and uh, I've seen parts of My Sassy Girl, but it was so horrible I couldn't watch it. Uh, <laughs> generally, my feelings are I I just I personally don't see the point of a remake mm. like that. Just a total. I mean, at the very least, just release it dubbed. Mm-hmm. For the people who absolutely refuse to watch subtitles, um, um, that being said, from a business standpoint, I see the need for a remake because Asian film does not have a market in the U.S., mm-hmm. and so it makes more sense to purchase the rights for a film for a remake rather than for you know just straight distribution. Mm. Um, but yeah, that like I, you know, like you guys were talking about the, uh, the killer remake, right? Yeah. Last episode. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you know, even that, even like the Korean remake of A Better Tomorrow, I was just like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, you know, like come up with your own damn idea. Like I don't know. <laughs> It it starts. To, it just has me start wondering about you know are they really that dried up in terms of you uh, know, the I mean, creative juices know. that it, are flowing in these in these you know uh, writers rooms and whatnot to where they just say ah oh, let's just borrow this movie from over here and that movie from over there and like I don't I mean I don't mind the concept of a remake if you do it correctly. Like, we talked about, you know, in the Pulse episode that's coming out in two weeks, the Hollywood remakes, which are horrible. But my argument was that it, they didn't have to be. Like, I could see not a remake, but a sidequel, mm. sort of. You know, it's some, like, you know, for that movie in particular, it's an apocalyptic film well you know why why not make a film in the same universe that just shows what's going on in america rather than trying to remake the film mm-hmm. you know um i'm like there, there's certain things like i enjoyed visually the remake of the ring mm-hmm. you know but I, I like i was one of those people that thought that whole like asian horror boom was kind of overrated to begin with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I was like, okay, I've, I've seen these ghosts so many times. Like, I don't need to keep seeing girls in white with long hair doing kabuki moves, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. With that said, uh, a plug for next week's show, where we talk about the Chinese remake of What Women Want. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually did want to see that. Uh, for just... You know, pure cur- It's like you know, like for instance, talking about remakes, Bollywood remade Old Boy. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm like, I mean, so I, I mean, it's just a part of cinema. And at this point, I'm like, I used to work at a uh, sort of bootleg um, kung fu video store, and people from like Miramax and you know Sony Pictures Classics and stuff would come into the store and buy films from us because we would get them like you know from china when yeah. like right after they were released or like we had Ong Bak without subtitles before anyone had even really heard of it and you know like they would come in to get released you know or to get these new releases or whatever to watch them and then like you know three weeks later i'd be you, you know you'd see like oh the wine scenes pick up the rights for this film or whatever and like you know of course anytime you hear the wine scenes pick up the rights for any film, you know your blood boils and you're just like i will never ever see that film then yeah. <laughs> because either a they're going to release it and it's going to be edited to shit and dubbed or it's just going to sit on a shelf and never do anything yeah you know, the only thing the wine scenes, in my opinion, have done at all remotely well is Dragon Dynasty. And as far as I can tell, that was mostly Bay Logan. Mm. You know, uh, Mr. with the wine scenes. Mr. Money. Logan, we know him well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another, that's another uh, episode, yeah, that's I think. That's another episode. <laughs> for, for, a mo- for a moment there, I thought you were going to say Dragon Wars. And I was like, what? what? Wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> Dragon Wars. What a great show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like reptilian before it. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Well, uh, I I would love to go on longer, but uh, I think we're approaching the top of the hour, and I think you have to go off and do, do some I, uh, archiving. 
Yes. Uh, but before we let you go, um, so we've mentioned uh, people can find you and you're writing on www.sinawesome.com as well as the V Cinema podcast, which is a free podcast on iTunes. Um, and there's also a website for that called uh, vcinemashow.com. Okay. Uh, how about Twitter? Do you have uh, Twitter that people can follow you on? Yeah, I have I have a Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is Rufus Duram, so R-U-F-U-S-D-E-R-H-A-M. Mm-hmm. Or you could also follow the website on Cine Awesome. All right. So just at Cine Awesome. And so for people who want to um, participate then in, in the Korean blogathon, um, is there a main port of entry that they need to go and sort of... Uh, read up on in terms of what they need to do and where they need to link to? No, I mean, there's articles explaining it on both Cine Awesome and New Korean Cinema. Mm. Uh, and you can also email us at blogathon at newkoreancinema.com or you can even email me at uh, rufus at cineawesome.com uh, or Twitter or Facebook. I mean, if you look up Korea Blogathon on Facebook, we're on there. All I mean... Right. There's about a billion. Like, or if you're really, really lazy and you're on, you just have Twitter and you post something, just put a Korea blog hashtag on it. Just mm. you know, hashtag Korea blog uh, during that week, and we'll hopefully find it. Um, but it would be better if you you know either commented on one of our pages or the Facebook page or whatever, and let us know that your article's out there, and we'll make us find it faster. All right, that sounds good. And also just to throw a little quick plug out for to Martin, who on Twitter is at newkoreancinema.com, who's sort of the, he's the other half of this uh, duo that's putting on this blogathon. Yeah, and his website is uh, newkoreancinema.com, yeah. um, which is also, you know, and pretty much my new favorite <laughs> Korean film website after koreanfilm.org has kind of, because of you know their own schedules, has kind of slowed their production rate down the last couple of years. Mm. Yeah, slow production but, rates, we understand all too well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, any last questions for uh, Rufus? No, once I heard about the slowing down thing, I felt guilty. I don't want to say anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't worry. I mean, like, if you go to Cine Awesome com right now it's like you you scroll down you're like oh february 10th korean blogathon then you look down it's like november 27th <laughs> oh yeah skyline skyline <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh you know don't feel bad uh, <laughs> i i feel bad all the time when i look at martin's site and i'm just like how does he have time to yeah. do this <laughs> yeah well so it was I, it was great to have a chance to talk with you and we wish you and martin the you know, best of luck, and we, we really hope people that are out there and interested in Korean cinema will uh, participate in this event because, I mean, for new media people like myself and like Kevin and like Rufus, it's always very exciting when these kinds of communications and connections, you know, get made. And you can really read some interesting stuff, some interesting perspectives, and meet some, you know, people with the same interests if you participate. So I would urge you guys to do that. And I would like, you know, Rufus, if you have a chance later to come back and and talk about um, Korean stuff, because as I said, I, you know, my Korean library is sadly limited. Uh, Kevin's the one who usually is up on all the 
the Korean films. So, you know, when you get a chance to see some newer stuff, like, you know, some of the remakes and, and whatnot that we were talking about, we'd love to have you back and share yeah, your thoughts definitely. with us. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I had a lot of fun coming on here. So, uh, yeah, and I'll also, I just subscribed to you guys on iTunes. Sweet. Because I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be honest, like, you know, for me, like, I'm so busy that yeah, I don't even listen to the V Cinema show. Oh, no. I, I Trust me, I <laughs> and understand. Then I, I listen to you guys. I'm like, oh, subscribe. Yeah. All right. This is it. Uh, I'm fortunate in that I've got a two-hour commute every day to work, so I can listen to a ton of stuff on the way there and on the uh, way back. So, uh, how, What a coincidence, because V Cinema is usually about two hours yeah. long. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, we'd love to have you back, and we'll look forward to seeing some more of your work. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, guys. All right, Thank so you, Rufus. Have fun archiving. Oh, yeah, it's a joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rufus. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back and finish up in a bit, Kevin. All right. And Rufus, we'll talk to you later. All right. Good Thank you, Rufus. You later. All right, All thanks bye a bye. lot. All right. Uh, again, a big thanks to Rufus for stopping by to talk with us. Now it's time to move on to some news for this week. So, up first, uh, not a whole lot of news uh, to cover. There's been quite a bit going on since we had our last episode. Um, lots of big stuff in terms of, um, you know, film news in terms of Hollywood stuff. But for West or for East Screen stuff, um, not too much really stuck out. This one bit of news out of Film Biz Asia caught my eye, and that is uh, AMR signs uh, dual supply deals. This article coming from Patrick Frater. On February 15th, uh, basically says that Asian Media Rights, a transactional video-on-demand distributor of Asian film and special event content in North America, has struck a deal with New People Entertainment, which was formerly known as Viz Pictures. And I'm, I'm not familiar with Viz Pictures, but I think Viz was like a distribution company for manga japanese manga in the states for a while wasn't it and right and they, they do both actually yeah okay so they they actually had a pictures division yeah. um but now they're called new people i guess yeah because um basically this they i'm not sure if they're based in san francisco but they opened a so-called japanese entertainment center in in san francisco and it's called new people uh, which includes uh, uh a, a, a viz cinema in the basement which shows japanese films uh, so I'm guessing they just changed their entire film division to fit with that label, I suppose. Mm. Well, I looked yeah. up this company, Asian Media Rights, and they basically got a very limited website with three bits of information. Let's got like you know two CEOs and uh, not much else information because it says they're a transactional video on demand distributor. So I started thinking, does this mean that these titles that they list here? Um, and they list things like Death Note, uh, Train Man, Kamikaze Girls. Are these going to be going to some kind of video-on-demand service like uh, Netflix or Blockbuster or iTunes? And I really couldn't find out any information on their site. They didn't, they didn't really say much of anything on their site. So I'm not really clear on exactly where this distribution is going to be going. Do, 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 you, do you have a guess as to where it would be going, Kevin? Uh, they're kind of a, a new... Uh new group i think um <clears throat> and i think it's a smart thing to do because um i think the asian americans tv uh there was such a television network in 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 uh, america that tried to launch uh asian american programming with asian films asian 
uh, like Korean dramas and stuff, and it didn't work out. And I guess this, this I'm not sure where I've heard this, but this might be the same group of people who did this Asian American network. And I think they're now purely focusing their efforts on on demand because in um, we have digital cable, you can um, you have several feeds or several uh, on demand services available. And I'm guessing uh, this will be how it works to so let people let people choose what they want to see, the Asian entertainment what they want to see. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, anytime they start talking about you know video on demand and international films. Yeah, you know, I get excited um, because I'm all about the access. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very good, good way. Or I guess a new try, new attempt to get to get Asian entertainment to to America. But the thing is, we were just talking about earlier in the interview that that people, especially in America, they're just not into um, watching subtitled entertainment. I guess in a in a mass basis. Yeah. But no, I think it's a very, very <laughs> smart move on Asian media rights to work with uh, American distributors, uh, people who have already bought up the rights, who have already bought these film, films over. Um, and I'm not sure how much they'll be in collaboration in the, in the distribution of these films or the promotion of these films. But I think at least you have an American, um, uh, someone, um, how do I say this? Um I forgot what I want to say. Uh, I guess someone who knows the market, or people who know the market, or people who bought in the film, knowing that it will fit the market to 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 get these films out there. Hmm. All right, moving on. Some other news: Udine Festival to feature Pink Aiga. Aiga, Aiga. I I can't remember how to say that word. My Aiga. 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 So you know, yeah. What what what's up with this? Uh, is uh, Udine going? The category three or what? Well, you know, Unne has been, uh, I guess, a friend of ours. Uh, we know that Ross and well, Tim, uh, who who's been on a show before, he's a consultant. He's a Hong Kong consultant for the festival. Also, um, our friend, uh, Mister Kozo himself, RobertShayFilm dot com, uh, has is also a friend of the festival, um, and. You know they they always like they always like their genre films. They're they're the target is mainly genre films, um, so it makes sense for them to do a pink film uh, retrospective. I mean they've done one before, according to the story. They've done um, they've done it before, and um, I guess there's another a new maybe a new um, a new update on the retrospective. And the pink film the pink film genre is really more than just porn. It it actually is some of them or most of them or many of them happens to be serious films uh, that just happens to have sex in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they it may sound a little tasteless, but um, it's actually the start of many many um, respectable directors, including um, the director of Departures. I mean, think about it: the director of an Oscar-winning film starting in starting with softcore porn. It okay. it sounds like ridiculous in America or or elsewhere in traditional, I guess, your Western film society. But in Japan, is entirely normal thing. I mean, look at look at all the people who got their start, right? Anthony Wong. Yeah, Anthony Sil- Wong. Sylvester yeah. Stallone, Madonna. I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with that, right? Wait, wait, Sylvester Stallone did porn. Yeah, yeah. This he, is new to me. He did a. Uh, Oh, it was called like the Italian Stallion or something. It was a, I think it was a soft core, a soft core uh, title. If if my movie trivia is serving me correctly, 
Even um, uh, my my former governor, uh, Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger, did uh, Building Iron, which is a uh, porn for bodybuilders. Mm, yeah. Oh, and also, we want to mention the Udine Festival trailer is up, and it's pretty funny. It's got a little bit of a Mr. Vampire feel to it, a bit old, bit of an old-school feel. We'll put the link up in the show notes if you want to take a look. All right, a little bit of news from the West. Um, I'm not sure what, what, whether to be excited about this or, you know, whether to cry havoc and unleash the dogs of war yet. Um but uh, Blu-rays are set to be released in September for the Star Wars films. Uh, the entire set of six movies um, is set to be released. The big question is, which versions are they going to be? And I think we talked a little bit about this before in the past, um, that Lucas has basically said that the old versions are never to exist again. Um, so I think the expectation is that these are going to be the remastered, uh, you know, uh, Greedo shoots first uh, versions that we saw, and I think that you know, I, ideally they'd have both. You know, in a, per, in a perfect in a perfect cinema world, they'd have both. Um, but I don't think that's we're gonna what we're gonna get. But eh, if you're a Star Wars fan, so a little bit of exciting news: you're gonna finally have Blu-rays. I'll buy it, but I'll swing my fist while I buy it. Yes. Curse you, Lucas, and your Curse Blu-ray. you, curse you, Visa, please. Curse you. <laughs> All right, and uh, we had a thing in the U.S. a little while ago called the Super Bowl. Um, you a football fan, Mr. Ma? Yes, sir. Uh, I played a little bit of football. Uh, well, I guess uh, recreationally, not 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 professionally or anything. Uh, yeah, so. Plus, I am I am uh, the city where the formerly good San Francisco 49ers were. So, mm. yeah, I'm a football fan, you can say. Right. Um, so, Super Bowl, do you keep up with that? Or are you like me? You only watched for the commercials. Oh, no, I was in China. So, I mean, forget anything America except that's not, that doesn't involve basketball. Mm. Yeah. So, well, I was able to follow this year. So, and I also missed out on the ads. So, uh, what, tell me, Paul, what, did you, did you catch it, Paul? Uh, no, I I detest watching sports on TV, um, <laughs> but I do like watching the ads, so I was there on various websites looking at all the interesting ads as they came through. Um, one of the interesting things, though, was the a number of uh, comic book films that were being advertised uh, during the show. You actually had a premiere of the first Avenger Captain America film, I, I believe that premiered during the Super Bowl. You also got... Uh, Thor um, showing up again, and the Transformers three film uh, was was pre- I think that was premiered there as well. Um, and it seems like this year we've got an oversaturation of um, sort of big comic book films. You've got Thor, you've got X Men, Captain America, Green Lantern, and then I think just today I was looking at images that have just been released of the new Spider Man costume. And so there is a lot of buzz going on about that right now. And it was a week ago or a couple weeks ago when they released the news for uh, The Dark Knight Rises, um, Anne Hathaway being cast as Catwoman, um, and oh, I can't remember his name from Inception. Um, um, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yes, forgive me, um, is going to be taking on the role of Bane, apparently. So... Uh, you know, those are sort of all in the buzz streams right now, and everybody's talking about them, chatting about them. I'm just wondering if we've reached capacity. Um, you've also got another X-Men movie 
you know, which uh, they just released the trailer for over this past weekend, uh, X-Men First Class, which is is also this summer. Um, ha- have we reached capacity with the comic book film? I don't know. Uh, I mean, everybody's expecting all of these films to be great. Some of them are, you know, going to be bad in comparison with others. Um, they can't all be that good, can they? Well, I mean, depends on how much you like comic book movies. I mean, to me, they're really, really hit and miss for me. Um, but, you know, we started already get reboots of franchises from 10 years ago. We had The Incredible Hulk a few years ago, and now we're getting Spider-Man again yeah. coming. Um, well, the it, problem, I think the problem with the Hulk is the Hulks have been failures pretty much across the mm-hmm. board. Um, and I think from the fans' perspective, nobody's gotten it right yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Hulk's a very hard character to do, you know, because that's pretty much entirely got to be a CG person. I mean, David Banner can be a, a great actor, whoever you pick, you know, you could get Anthony Hopkins, you know, to play David Banner. Um, but the, the idea is that the people don't really want to see David Banner all that much. They want to see the Hulk. They want to see, you know, Hulk smash. And they want to see him leaping for miles and, and picking up tanks and doing the stuff that he does. And I think that that's still very hard to do. I think it's, it's you know, the, the CGI we have is great, but I don't think it's there yet in terms of um, being great enough to do what they need to do for the Hulk. Maybe, maybe now, post-Avatar, they could try again, and I think they are trying again. Um, you know, they're going to try and tie it in with this uh, Avengers thing. But if you ask me of the films that are going into the Avengers, the one that I'm probably thinking I'm looking forward to the least has got to be the Hulk remake. So, Yeah, I after um, well, the second whatever reboot of X-Men with after Iron Man, I just don't really see any comic movies, movies on the horizon that interest me much anymore yeah. uh maybe until the avengers you know because they'll have samuel L. jackson it'll be awesome yeah. but to see but, then uh, for the, the problem with the avengers is you're gonna have downey you're gonna have um the guy playing thor you're gonna have the guy playing captain america um i think there's another person in there ant-man or or somebody i can't remember it um, man <laughs> <laughs> it man yeah donnie um, but you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be a competition for FaceTime, you know, because mm-hmm. the people who love Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark, they're going to want to see him on the screen more. Uh, the people who love another character, they're going to want to see that character on the screen more. So it's going to be hard to do, I think. Um, maybe they'll pull it off. I don't know. We've still got a long way to go before that comes around. Uh, and a lot of comic book films to get to first. <laughs>
right, but we're not here to talk about comic book films this week. We are here to talk about Chinese New Year films. And so we've got the two... Uh, last time we talked about the, the first of the th- big three Chinese New Year films to come out of Hong Kong. This week we are going to talk about the final two um, for this year, 2011. So in our East Screen segment, up first we've got All's Well, Ends Well, 2011. Uh, this film, directed by Chen Hing Ka and Janet Chun, stars Louis Ku, Donnie Yen, Chapman Toh, Cecilia Chung, coming back after a long hiatus, uh, Karina Lau, Yan Ni, and Lin Shang, and, of course, the indomitable Raymond Wong, who Yo! they'll probably be digging up long after he's gone to star in these movies anyway. Um, he'll be a legitimate happy ghost at that point, but he'll still be acting. Um all right, so Kevin, why don't you take this one? And, uh, you know, it's been a while. Uh, I kind of have blocked most of it out. And <laughs> uh, what was it about, really? Oh, I don't blame you. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, think about this. Okay, before I get into this review, I'd like to remind people that Chung Hing Ka, it's, uh, it's an award-winning screenwriter who wrote A Better Tomorrow. He wrote one of the greatest Hong Kong movies ever made yeah, well, we're not talking about the korean remake but better no no this is the john woo 1986 chow and fat leslie chun uh t a better tomorrow from a better tomorrow to also ends 2011 okay <laughs> so um uh, like all also ends movies uh this comedy this lunar comedy uh has several plot i guess several story strands uh you have mr donnie yen donnie himself playing uh, uh a makeup salesman named uh, arno who was kind of who's kind of content working a neighborhood uh cosmetic store um he has he kind of have a thing for his first girlfriend um mona uh novelist played play by karina lao uh so that's one strand um, but his life changes when Louis Koo, who is this kind of a, who is playing, who is pretending to be this feminine cosmetic expert in order to 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 uh, get fame, uh, he is hired to be a CEO of a cosmetics company that is bought up by a, a mega millionaire uh, played by Raymond Wong, uh, and his wife or his girlfriend played by mainland actress Yan Ni. So Louis Koo needs someone to run the. Um, cosmetics company's uh, big counter in the uh, department store so he hires um, Donnie for help um, meanwhile Lou, um, Louis's uh, character Master Sammy he has an assistant called, named Claire who is played by Cecilia Chen um, she um, attracts the attention of a big millionaire I guess uh, his name is Smoothie uh, played by Chapman Toe um and so um master sammy uh begins to help claire um or help smoothie uh get claire um but however smoothie also has an ex-girlfriend a very tall ex-girlfriend played by lee shown who can't let him go so now those are the uh you got all these main all these plot strands interconnecting and kind of messing with each other running into each other causing all kinds of Humorous and amusing comic misunderstandings. Obviously, you can hear how bored I am because that's how bored I was during the movie. Um, so, the, I guess the big attraction here uh, is 
Mr. Yen, uh, it man himself, doing comedy. Uh, this is his first non-action role uh, since Love on the Rocks, which uh, coincidentally also co-starred uh, Louis Koo. Um, is he doing here anything good here? Um, he's okay. Um, he is kind of partly, he's the straight man, I guess, in this. Uh, he spends half the movie smiling with, the, I guess, the white Donnie smile. Um, and it's almost like he doesn't really have much comic timing, but uh, he does have a few good, ga- I guess, send-ups on his It Man persona. Um, there's a scene where he's doing the repeated punch of the foundation thing that you see in the trailer. He also does a little pushing hands with Karina Lau. And th- those are funny. Those are kind of funny gags when he's sending up himself. Um, but the rest of the film, he's kind of, you know, unspectacular. Instead, um, the, I only found really two actors who are really trying to act and that's uh to me it was lewis Koo doing his uh feminine pretending to be feminine thing which is kind of amusing in the beginning um you also got cecilia churn who is kind of taking her character too seriously but you know i gave her credit because one i haven't seen her for so long and two um kind of reminds you that how much how how much i guess a serious of an actress she is because she really is trying to act in the film even though it doesn't really fit the film um there's a few funny things uh, in between. Uh, like I said, the pushing hands thing you got. Um, you also have uh, Chapman Toe kind of uh, doing his overacting shtick that he did in the comedy Humane. Um, his screaming uh, with English thing. It's it's amusing at points. Um, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's just a little annoying. Uh, there's a particular singing gag that I guess you have to be a Chinese netizen to understand because... I didn't understand it until I went home and actually looked up the video uh, that he was lampooning. Um, so be aware that there is going to be a couple of gags uh, that even Hong Kong audiences didn't understand. Um, however, however, the rest of the movie is just not really all that funny. It felt really long, and it just really dragged. The best For me, the best parts of the funny scenes were uh, shown in the trailer, uh, except for this one... Uh, particularly funny uh, Mahjong scene which featured uh, Ronald Chang as an Okashi Land delivery man which is kind of funny idea um, for me that scene started out really well uh, really funny and then it just kind of went on too long uh, like the rest of the movie um, as a result for me it just felt like it was back to level of uh, also, also 2009 which I think we will agree that is a pretty terrible movie uh, whose director also directed this year's other Lunar New, New, New Year movie which we'll talk about later um, to me, just pure, just annoying. Uh, and the movie went nowhere. There wasn't really a pace. Uh, even has less pace than I Love Hong Kong. It felt too way too loose. Uh, things just kind of come out somewhere and just go away. And yeah, it's all very, it's always very loose and very lazy. Um, and you figure how hard could it be to to to, to direct a lunar New Year comedy? You should just point and shoot and then let the actors overact and then you have fun. But here, um, both Chen Han Kai and Janet Chun, who is his uh, co-director, who uh, I will remind everyone also did The Jade and The Pearl. Uh, sorry, I reminded you about that. Uh, they, they have this really annoying directing thing where they like to shoot most of the film with canted angles. Now, for those who didn't go to film school, this means the camera is always tilted in an angle, like something is unsettling, is happening. Um, and... No, it just re- felt really annoying. I felt like I had to tilt my head for most of the movie. Uh, it's not that hard to keep the camera level. Uh, find a find a competent cameraman. You can do that. Um, 
But of course, I saved the best for last, Mr. Raymond Wong, the producer, the boss of this film. Who um, this is the man who started his the film company that uh, distributed this mess to let his son make movies. Um, he just he 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 just really thinks he's funny, except he's not. Um, that's kind of a sad thing. He he's doing he does this thing where he goes through his trans- physical transformation. Um, from a kind of overweight older man to uh, seeing where he becomes thin and muscly, and uh, it's really one of the most unpleasant images I've had to see since uh, I saw Wandering Topless in a movie that I don't want to mention about anymore because I've selectively blocked it from my head. Um, and his co-star in that plot, Yan Ni, um, she is also an actress, obviously, but it just seems like someone told her to take it seriously, and she shouldn't have. Um, Overall, also answer 2011 has its moments, but again, remember, Mr. Chang Heng Ka, the writer of A Better Tomorrow, also directed this movie. Uh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Raymond Wong. I mean, I, you know, one of the things, like uh, I mentioned before on a past episode, when holidays come around, I have a staple of, you know, old holiday movies that I go and watch. So for Halloween, there are things I watch. Thanksgiving, Christmas, things I watch. So the same has come to pass for Chinese New Year. There are a couple of films that I watch every year to get in the mood. Um, I, I watched uh, The Eighth Happiness um, during the holiday with, uh, with the wife. And that's a 1988 movie, also featuring Raymond Wong, um, Chow Yun-Fat, Carol Chang, among others. And just seeing Raymond Wong then and now it's just like i i don't know what's happened to him i mean i know he's gotten older but it's like has he been taking too much botox or i mean i at first i thought it was fake because like you said he he's set up to look all messed up in the beginning so that he you know goes through a mystical transformation at the end and he comes out looking better but then i he didn't (laughs) (laughs) i mean his face was kind of like still weird looking to me and i I just i don't know if he's had a facelift or he uses a lot of botox it just it looks kind of fake i don't know maybe it's puffy yeah 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 i I don't know if that's natural or that's from some process that he's done but it's just uh, in the first half of the movies obviously he was keeping cotton in his in his mouth or something to give him uh and he had had fake teeth and everything and and, but it still looked weird at the end so i don't know um, Louis Koo, I thought was kind of funny, but kind of insulting. I mean, cause mm-hmm. he's pretending to be, he, he never says he's gay, mm-hmm. but he's pretending to be very effeminate working in this industry. Um, yeah. but he's also very lecherous. So he's doing it specifically so that he can like get very close to attractive women. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which is sort of the old joke that people had, you know, when I was in high school, it's like. You know, don't make fun of people who go into makeup or hair, hair or you know, hair styling or things like that because they get to work with very attractive women. Mm-hmm. Um, and here he was; he was doing it, at, at, you know, under this pretense. So I, some people might be insulted by that. I don't know. It just wasn't all that funny. I mean, he was good at it, um, pulling it off. I think, um, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a whole lot for him to work with. Um, Cecilia Chung, I don't. I, I just don't see the appeal. <laughs> um, uh, I don't I don't think she's a good match for Louis Koo. I would have liked to see somebody else in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe I was expecting too much after last year's because I really liked last year's uh, 2010, the 2010 version, 
And I agree with what you said. This one was much more on the level of 2009, which I think we all disliked. Um, there was a funny scene, because Chapman Toe is like this super rich guy, and he's super socially awkward. He doesn't know how to deal with normal people, and he ends up going on a date to Maxim, which if you've never been to Hong Kong, Maxim is, is kind of like taking somebody to a date to uh, Taco Bell or Burger King. Right, it's it's mm-hmm. like very cheap fast food, and he doesn't know how to order the food there. He's expecting like people to come wait on him, and um, it, so that part I thought was funny. Um, is any of this believable? Not really. Um, you know, Karina Lau lo- looked kind of out of her element. It was nice to see her there. It was nice to see Donnie there. Uh, I think Donnie could do comedies. I mean, look at mismatched couples, right? I mean, that, that's comedy. <laughs> It didn't seem like they were a fit here, and I'm, I don't think they were actually in a lot of the movie, when you come to think of it. And there's a scene at the end, the reason I say it, there's a scene at the end where all four couples line up, and they're all giving their New Year wishes to the audience, which is a very a tradition for New Year's films. And as I'm watching it, I'm looking at Donnie and Karina standing next to each other, and they, they don't look right. And then sure enough, you watch the outtakes, and the outtakes show that scene being shot, and it's only three of the couples. It's Louis mm-hmm. Koo, it's um, Raymond, Raymond Wong, and it's Chapman Toe. And Donnie's not there, and Karina's not there. And I'm thinking, they probably weren't, they probably shot their parts totally separate from the rest of the cast. And mm-hmm. they weren't even available for that final scene. They were edited in later, and I thought, just thought that was kind of funny and kind of ironic. The thing is, I, I was so ready to get out of the theater. Yeah, a lot of people apparently noted that, noted that but I, I was so ready to get out of the theater, I didn't bother. I was like, oh, God, finally. <laughs> I didn't bother looking. It's pretty bad when you don't stay for the outtakes, and the outtakes are the best part of the film. <laughs> so, No, but about Cecilia Churn, uh, I think I tweeted after I saw the film that it, I saw it as a, a right career decision. Uh, that she needed something this big, something that paid this well. Apparently, it, uh, how much she was paid was a really big uh, news story, um, and um, she needed this kind of things to for her for her comeback. But I think for her acting career, I think she should have chosen a much better uh, comeback film. I think she, her presence, her comeback presence, would have helped perhaps a smaller drama um, that really or that really needed her acting or that really needed her presence, that really needed the publicity to, to, to launch the film. And now that the opportunity is lost. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Right, so on to our second and last uh, Chinese New Year film from Hong Kong, and that is Mr. and Mrs. Incredible, um, which, if you've seen The Incredibles, kind of sounds familiar. Um, but this, in fact, has nothing to do with The Incredibles, the Pixar animation. Uh, it just shares a similar name. This is coming from director Vincent Koch, um, also starring Louis Ku. And Sandra Um, Sandra Um, who was also in uh, I Love Hong Kong. So the two of these these uh, these guys are kind of dominating this year's New Year films between the two of them. Um, 
so it's it's an interesting year based on that, based on you know what you can read into it about their careers and and their positions in the industry right now, um, or at least the way they're perceived as in terms of uh, audience draw. Um, but basically, this tells the story of uh, sort of an unset period in ancient China, um, where you have Louis Ku playing a superhero named Gazer Warrior. And Sandra M, mm, also playing a superhero uh, named Aroma Woman, and again, it's it's in ancient China, so it's kind of weird to have you know superheroes in this period because they're kind of like you know Western style superheroes, but they're also kind of like martial artists. Um, so it never really explains why or how they have their superpowers, where they learned them, but basically we meet up with these characters. Um, and the crux of the story is the two characters meet and they decide to run off together, get married and live normal lives. And then the monotony of, you know, their normal lives starts to get back to them and they start considering, you know, should they come out of retirement? Um, in the meantime, there's a, there's officials coming from the capital to the place they're living which is um, called the Rainbow Village, this sort of perfect, peaceful, idyllic village where nothing exciting ever happens. And they want to set up this martial tournament. And the reason they pick Rainbow Village is because they figure it's so far away and it's, it's neutral ground and, you know, it won't be giving uh, any specific advantage to any of the contestants, the, com the competitors. So you have all these martial groups coming from all over to the village to compete. And, of course, there's... Uh, you know, there's a, an intricate and evil plot uh, afoot as well. Um, film had a really cool comic book style opening, um, you know, sort of like what you see in, in some of the, you know, Marvel superhero openings sometimes where it's, it's kind of animated. And based on that, I was like, oh, this looks pretty interesting. I would have liked to have actually seen a much more serious take on this, uh, based on what they were kind of doing with that. Um, but basically, it follows the two of them living this sort of bored, retired life where they're trying to keep it a secret that they have powers and, and they have all these, uh, you know, abilities. Um, the Rainbow Village itself, the fact that they live there is, is a local gag based on the fact that there's a local estate building uh, with the same name. Um, that's obviously not because it's a government housing thing. It's not very idyllic. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there's a martial competition. You've kind of seen this, this you know, plot device used in a lot of other Hong Kong films before. Um, I would have really preferred more if... They've got a number of trailers for this film out that are actually kind of funny and unique in, you know, the, what, what they're doing. And I would have liked to see a lot more of that stuff um, and the kind of gags they were doing there since they wanted to make this sort of a gag fest than what they actually did in the film. The film kind of was dull for good portions of it. Um, it was an interesting concept. You know, here you have a couple. They want to be a couple. They want to, you know, retire. But they still have these, you know, abilities. And, you know, what's it like being retired when you have, you know, superpower abilities? and just trying to do a day-to-day -day business or start a family, these kind of things. I, I was really interested in that. I wish they would have taken that further um, than they did. And, and, of course, you just have this plot that comes in and gets in the way. Um, Kevin, what, did you, what was your take on it? Um, sorry, from you, just 
I mean, there's a reason why they did all these separate trailers, these gag trailers that uh, was was nothing had nothing of the movie. Um, it was on purpose because the movie is a lame duck. I mean, the movie is lame. There's nothing worth showing from the film, and they decided to do uh, these separate um, separate gag trailers. I mean, to make it seem like it's actually going to be a funny movie. Um, the sad thing is, I mean, producer Peter Chan, he had a good string of movies. You know, uh, even though you may not think they're great movies, but you know, I can say that he didn't produce a bad movie, but this is, I think this is the first really flat face uh, failure from uh, uh, produ- uh, Peter Chan's producer. Um, the movie was just lame. Um, there was not that much things that were actually funny. Um, the problem was that Sandra Ng, uh, Louis Koo, they were put together in All Star Answer 2009 as kind of a unlikely not really a couple, but uh, but is kind of deal. Um, that's kind of the joke is that you're not. No one's supposed to take them seriously as a couple, but yet we're supposed to do so here. There's a whole the whole movie is about their marital troubles and how they deal with a um, whole hum life and how they um, how they fell in love and how they stay in love. And I'm watching. I just can't buy it. Sandra Ng is cool. It's not the older woman thing. It's just that they are just. They're a comedic couple, that which means they're not supposed to really be taken seriously as a pairing, but we're supposed to, and it just didn't work. Um, all these special effects, most of the special effects in the film, uh, maybe except for the final final fight, they're all seen in the trailer. Everything else is just the situational sitcom deal. Uh, sadly, dubbed from Mandarin to Cantonese, even though uh, Louis Ku and, uh, and Sandra Ng were speaking on, uh, with Cantonese uh, on set. Um... The two of them were actually okay. I mean, they, they, I thought Louis Koo was quite funny at points, uh, as this kind of old, tired old man, retired man. Uh, Sandra Ng was doing her overacting thing. They were fine, uh, as actors, uh, as characters. But the whole film was just so uninspired. And, um, I might have laughed, but I don't remember what I laughed at. I pretty much blocked out most of the film uh, as I tweeted. Um, the audience were kind of giving a chance at the beginning, but by the second half, the audience, and this is a new, new, new Year's Eve audience, it was packed. Uh, people were in the holiday mood, and it was just dead. Uh, all 200 people were silent in that theater. Yeah. Um, they should have given the directing job to the people who did the advertising campaign. Uh, they did a much better job kind of delivering these this irrelevant uh period, pseudo-period humor um, movie about retired superheroes, uh, people hiding superpowers or with really ridiculous superpowers. I think they would have done much better than Vincent Koch. Um, yeah. It's interesting that you say that you know the, the, your theater was packed. Mine was packed too. And the guy sitting behind us kept yawning. You know, uh-huh. He's like, an, like the, this older uncle type character, I guess, by the sound of his voice. And he was just kept, you know, every like so often. And this was, like you said, in the second half of the movie, he's like, oh, uh, uh, you know, it's just like he was ready to get out of there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it, you know, it's surprising that you're to get this kind of a reaction out of a New Year's audience when everybody's sort of in the mood for New Year's and New yeah. Year's films. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's, a, there's um, kind of a matter of, um, not having the budget to do a big, because when you hear Mr. Mrs. Incredible, you hear about superheroes in retirement. You're you're kind of expecting. I'm talking about commercial film here. You're expecting some kind of big, I guess, catharsis or um, 
some special effects, uh, spectacle, I guess. But it seems like here, uh, just we don't know where all the money went. The money went to, I guess, the few kind of lame special effects sequences that we saw here, or went into making the gag trailers. Um, this just it became, and then of course I'm sure Peter Chan would say this is not a movie about superheroes. He was using it to talk about the monotony of uh, long-term marriage and life in retirement. And to me, that's that's bull. But see, that, gotta... that's that, that's the problem I had is that the two characters themselves, they didn't really seem like an old married couple. Uh huh. Right. They didn't. You know. They didn't. They they, they were too perfect in, in you know for a good portion of the film. In their happiness, they didn't feel like a regular normal couple, and that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see these, you know, two characters that had superpowers but had now been married for twenty years. I wanted to see them, you know, what it was like on a daily basis when, you know, Mister Incredible didn't take out the garbage or something, and you know, so Mrs. Incredible gets angry and they have a little mini superpower spat or something. You know, that's what I thought I was going to see, and I, when I didn't see it, I was kind of disappointed. You know. Yeah. Um, sort of like, because even for a film like this, which is kind of making a lot of references to, um, you know, Chinese, you know, like the Return of the Condor Heroes kinds of, of, of genres, you know, where you have these super-powered martial artists that just get more and more powerful as, as the story progresses, but typically ends, you know, with like a couple being together, you know, sort of, sort of happy, but you never really get to see. It's like it's like okay, and they lived happily ever after, you know, sort of the yeah. Western fail, fairy tale notion. But then, you want to see the after the ever after part. You know, you want to see Prince Charming and, and and Sleeping Beauty, you know, twenty years later. You know, what what they're actually like as a bickering old couple. I wonder what happened if, uh, or I wonder what might have happened was that Peter Chen knew that he had to avoid getting the comparisons to The Incredibles, the Pixar movie. And I think he did as much as he can to avoid <laughs> going the route of The Incredibles. And what happened was that you couldn't give the audience what they wanted. But that's you his can... fault for choosing the name. Yeah. I mean, the only, th- the, only the, thing, the only thing that that you know is there is the name this has nothing to do with the incredibles at all except for the name he could have picked an entirely different name he could have called it you know uh mr and mrs amazing Mm -hmm. and but i think that that was a conscious choice for him to use that because the incredibles was uh, for for the pixar movies it was one of the more popular pixar movies over here Mm -hmm. um and they remain popular characters and Mm -hmm. i think that that was probably a very precise tactical choice that he made you know, to bring more of an audience in because they recognize mm-hmm. that, even though it has nothing to do with any of that. Well, I'm sure he should have also bought more money in because it just seemed like they delivered what they could on their budget instead of what the people wanted. Yeah, I, I'd agree. East Green, West Green. All right. Uh, I think that's going to wrap things up for the films. We are... Not going to talk about a West Screen film this week because uh, with everything that's been going on, neither Kevin or I have gotten out to see The Green Hornet yet. Uh, but we do plan to talk about that next week on our next episode, so we do apologize for the slight delay. Um, but from what I've heard, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. No spoilers yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, we uh, we got some interesting comments on the last episode with regard to... 
the Stephen Chow uh, Chinese Odyssey films we talked a little bit about last time. Um, and since that episode, I've actually gone out and bought the Blu-rays. I haven't watched them yet, but I hope to report back on the Blu-ray experience for that uh, very soon. Um, but the guys were, they, they basically started a back-and-forth conversation uh, about, you know, what would be a good starting point for Stephen Chow. And, um, you know, some guy, one of the guys was saying, Fist of Fury. Another said, uh, All for the Winner. Some people don't like All for the Winner. Um, I'm kind of in the All for the Winner camp because that was sort of my introduction to Stephen Chow. And I was very fortunate in that I saw God of Gamblers before I saw All for the Winner. And it got me thinking, well, I would if I was going to introduce somebody to Stephen Chow, I'd have to show them God of Gamblers before I showed them All for the Winner. Because otherwise they'd be going into it without the context, and you definitely need to see one before the other. Then I started thinking, well, Fist of Fury, or not Fist of Fury, I'm sorry, Fight Back to School. Um, fight Back to School, you don't really need anything. Um, that mm-hmm. might be a better starting point, actually, if you don't have access to God of Gamblers. Um, but what would your thoughts be, Kevin? No, I agree. Fight Back to School is a much more, I guess, gimmicky movie that you can watch just based on, again, the comedy of this cop, this tough cop who is going into the, um, the uh, high school to be uh, undercover. I mean, that just based on that concept, it's kind of funny. And then you have Stephen Chow doing the Stephen Chow thing. I mean, you get to see a much more... I guess it's the, the, the more arrogant Stephen Chow that people kind of know and love uh, kind of character instead of the uh, bumbling, um, um, bumbling innocent youngster kind of thing. Um, of course, Offer Winner is also a great comedy. Um, but like you said, uh, Fight Back to School is just very easy movie to get into. Um, and it kind of start you, it kind of shows a more movie star Stephen Chow, I guess, than Offer the Winner. Hmm. Yeah, so for I think mean, for people who have no idea about you know God Gambler or nothing about Hong Kong cinema, I would say Fight Back to School is a very good starting point. That for me was my kind of starting point for Stephen Chow, uh, and then I went back and watched Offer a Winner. I mean, I, I grew up with this stuff, but the one I can remember is always going to be Fight Back to School. Hmm. Yeah. And, and the the interesting thing is, the further you get into his library, the more he starts to do self contextual referencing. Mm-hmm. So like if you're watching, what is it? Uh, I think. Uh, God of Gamblers 3, Back to Shanghai, he's actually riffing on stuff that he does in uh, in Fist of Fury, 1991, I think, and as well as other stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of, in, in some ways, you kind of got to watch his stuff in release order to, to get a lot of it. And I'm sure there's stuff even like that goes back, that may go back to some of the stuff he did even earlier, some of the smaller films and, and the TV stuff and, and the TV dramas and whatnot. Um, there's just so much going on in his films that I'm sure I miss just from the lack of language skills. So, but, uh, God of Cookery used to hate it. Now it's one of my favorite films. Oh, God of Cookery is great. I mean, um, the first time I saw it, I couldn't stand it because (laughs) it seemed like such a, it, you know, it was, it was that and King of Comedy where he really started to change his style of humor a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I started direct things. Yeah. yeah, I guess a little bit in Out of the Dark too. Um, but I just remember going into Got a Cookery thinking, oh, I'm going to be seeing you know something like From Beijing with Love or something you know a bit older. And it it was just so different that I really hated it at first. And now it's you know it's one of my favorites. It, it's really grown on me over the years. No, for me, at the true test of a Stephen Chow fan, 
I think it's of the of the dark because it really is such a non Stephen Chow movie. Stephen Chow is kind of so deadpan here, um, and of course it's also a horror comedy with a lot of people dying. And I mean, Stephen Chow's never done a horror comedy, and he still hadn't since Out of the Dark. For him, that was kind of um, a commercial failure for him. I think a, a relatively commercial failure mm-hmm. and a true, like I said, true. I love the movie, but a true test of. Um, a Stephen Chow fan, you'd probably be either out of the dark or even from Beijing with Love, which actually has some really, really violent stuff in it. Yeah. Really, really dark stuff. So um, these two movies are really true tests of Stephen Chow fans. Yeah. Beijing with Love is great. Um, and the, the one that's kind of hard to get, Fist of Fury, uh, yeah. 1991. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, Stephen Chow, good stuff. Valentine's Day just passed. Uh, did you do anything big, Kevin? No, not not too much. I mean, I was just coming back from my trip, so uh, I mean, nothing too special. I apologize yeah. no, to my no, uh, uh, girlfriend. No romantic uh, interludes or a- any advice for the love lorn out there. For the love lorn out there, don't 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 look at a calendar. I mean, just yeah. think of it as a Monday. Uh, Mondays are terrible enough already, uh, and it's just worse if it's Valentine's Day. So yeah. just think of it. It's just another any other day. And if, you know, if all else fails, just remember what Short Round said. Hey, Dr. Joe, no time for love. we got company. Yeah. <laughs> so, no time for love. Uh, moving on. So, yeah, that's going to do it for our episode this week. Uh, as always, you can find out what's going on with us over at the website, www.concast.com. And we look forward to hearing from you guys on iTunes. If you have any comments or feedback for the show, you can leave them there or in the comments section of our website, and we'll try to touch base and read through some of those from time to time. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow me over at twitter.com slash foxlore, although most of the stuff I Twitter about is uh, geeky, non-film-related stuff, although I sometimes get into little back-and-forths with Mr. Ma and some other people. Um, you can also follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, as uh, one word, or if you'd like to send us an audio file, uh, we play. We can play a question here on the show. If you keep it short, you can send that to eastscreen at gmail.com. And just to reiterate, we'd like to thank our guest, Rufus, for coming on, and you can find him over at sinawesome.com. You can hear him on the V-Cinema podcast as well. And yeah, any final thoughts there, Mr. Ma? Where can people catch up with you? Are you going to be doing any writing this week yes i will be reviewing um no strings attached uh this week um on www.ypmovies.com.hk um i am also working on a review for what woman want the remake um also the chinese um the mainland chinese comedy my own swordsman those will be on lovehafilm.com as well as my review of confessions i am working on a blog entry about my trip to um the far western city of Udumush in china uh talk about a little bit about the chinese film industry and uh chinese um movie going i guess in general mm. um and um I think that's... Oh, and also catch me on YesAsia.com. In the Yumcha section, I am sometimes uh, writing under the pen name uh, Rockman. That's one word, Rockman, as well um, with the other talented editors of YesAsia.com. So do check out what we do over there. Uh, We work very hard on the Yumcha section. So yeah, that's that's it. Um, Anything good on Blu-ray coming out 
in the, in the, in the uh, the role less travel, the uh, Lewis Ku uh, drama that's coming out. I guess it's uh, I guess somewhat recommendable if you're in the mood for tear jerker. Shaw Brothers on Blu-ray, get them. Uh, Love Internal. Um, what was it the the Kingdom of Beauty? One Armed Swordsman. The Taiwanese Blu-ray is coming out. Three Smiles. The the story that the Flooring Scholar movies is is based on. Um, they're coming out, so if you're a Blu-ray fan, this is the time to upgrade. Shaw Brothers. I've got all those on Celestial DVD. Yeah, well, Paul, time to time to use all those uh, red pocket that you oh, that you couldn't pick up this year uh, to to get those Blu-rays. Yeah, I'll just keep yours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, it's exactly what I want to see. Is I want to see uh, you know the uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin and Gordon. Gordon uh, Lau's sweat glistening in high definition. Um, all right, so yeah, uh, some Blu-rays to look forward to. We did, we do have actually a, a Blu-ray special in the can, which I just have not had time to get through an edit, and I promise to uh, get to that in the very near future. Uh, so I do apologize for the delay on getting that out. Until next time, we will, as always, wish you good viewing, and we'll see you then. See you next time. Um, so until next time, <clears throat> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, ah, hopefully I'll get rid of this cold, because I'm so, American, I don't <laughs> want to read no words on my movie, <laughs> it's not called a book, it's called a movie, so, yeah, uh, sad, that's, that's, uh, part of my culture coming out there. Thank you.